Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Academia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are sitting down with Margaret Henderson, who is the president of Henderson Strategies, Inc., but also the campaign manager for Stronger America Through Seafood. And she is here to talk about a recent executive order that was issued here in the U.S. So if you're not in the U.S., you know, this is primarily going to be a U.S.-centric show, but we do get into some international stuff, and I think it's still really good information for, for everyone to to hear. So make sure you stick through with this episode because she has some amazing insight on what's going on in Washington, D.C. and at the governmental level in regards to aquaculture and seafood. So she was dropping knowledge right up until the last minute of that podcast. Like she had so many interesting things to say. So if there's one episode that you listen to all the way through, this has to be the one. There better be more than one episode that you listen to all the way through. Yeah. Maddie, can you give us a quick rundown on on this executive order? Yeah, of course. Margaret will definitely go into more depth with it, but I'll just give you a little summary of my understanding of the executive order. So it's been in the works for a long time, and you'll hear about the background later on, but it's basically just a commitment from the current government here in the U.S. saying that they are committed to helping the seafood industry grow by removing barriers that are currently in place that prevent people from getting involved with the industry. And also, in addition to removing barriers, also creating more easy avenues for people to start getting involved in this industry because there's such a bright future for the aquaculture industry and the seafood industry as a whole here in the United States. There's so much opportunity. And on top of that opportunity, there's all this demand from consumers. Like the amount of seafood consumption has gone up so much in the recent decades. So it's really the perfect timing for this. I mean, of course, perfect timing would have been a while ago, but it's out now and you should definitely read it. So we're going to be linking to it in the show notes. It's really easy to read, super short. Check it out. And enjoy this episode and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome, Margaret. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Sitting down with Margaret Henderson. She is the president of Henderson Strategies, Inc. and the campaign manager for Stronger America Through Seafood. And Margaret is here today to talk about something that may have slipped under the radar for a lot of people in the industry. So there's a lot of craziness going on in the world and especially in this country, the U.S., but something that just came out recently, I think it was May 7th, is that correct? The president issued an executive order uh, regarding domestic aquaculture here in the U.S. And like I said, it was not really widely spread at, that I saw. So if you missed it, don't be upset. Don't be surprised. It did kind of slide under the radar, but this is a really big deal and something Margaret has had her finger on the pulse for for quite some time. So we're really glad that she was able to join us and talk about this a little bit. But Margaret, first, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And can you give us a little bit of background kind of on who you are and what you do and how you got to where you are? Absolutely. Thanks, Sean and Justin and Maddie. So it's it's been a journey, that's for sure. And I'll try to boil it down into the relevant points. So um, 
I always throw this out there at the beginning because I think it's important for people to recognize this is part of the process. So I'm a, a federally registered lobbyist and I have been for 15 years pretty exclusively on behalf of the U.S. seafood community. So I've been advocating for the U.S. seafood community since January of 2005. And before that, I was a congressional staff member, not doing fish policy. I was actually doing completely different issues. Um, but I started in 2005, actually, at the National Fisheries Institute, um, which is up in D.C. I was their vice president of government relations for five years. And then in 2009, uh, left NFI and started my own shop, Henderson Strategies, and have been really fortunate to be able to stay within the community and actually really get close with some unique clients from across the supply chain. So everybody from the Gulf of Mexico commercial fishermen uh, to their charter boat captains uh, represented the um, shellfish community across the country in different capacities, worked on some seafood immigration type issues, uh, just you name it, all types of issues. But for me personally, one of the first projects I was tasked with when I started at NFI in 2005 was offshore aquaculture. There was a, a movement Back then, and there was actually federally legis federal legislation introduced in 2005, bipartisan, to authorize open ocean fish farming, which I didn't understand. Uh, you know, I thought, clearly we're already doing this, right, in the United States. I mean, we're buying all this fish. We've got these great oceans. Isn't this already happening? So it was a learning curve for me, and I was privileged to be just sort of thrown in the fire. And um, I remember walking the hill with two longtime champions from our industry, Neil Sims and Don Kent in particular, back then. Um, Don, I still work with, and Neil. They're both part of Stronger America Through Seafood now, which is really cool um, that we've been able to work together for so long on this project. But it's also not cool because it's been so long on this project. So that's that's my lineage. And y'all can ask me questions. We can take deep dives. I can ask y'all about your lineage. But that's mine in a nutshell. Um, my kind of path through seafood. Stronger America through seafood has been since 2017. And it was, you know, unfortunately, previous efforts to enact offshore aquaculture legislation did not manifest, uh, they did not get passed, obviously. And it laid pretty well dormant between the Bush and the Trump administrations. I don't see aquaculture as a partisan issue, but for whatever reason, that previous administration had some different priorities. Um, but in 2017, the seafood community started to get significant indications from federal policymakers that there was going to be some sort of activity on offshore aquaculture again. And in the meantime, we as a country continued to consume seafood and had increasingly begun to rely on imports, which is neither here nor there. We have no challenge with imports. It's a global supply chain, but that is a fact. Our percentage of imports had been increasing. And at the same time, our technological capacity to manage offshore aquaculture had also been evolving and improving. Yet we still, as the United States, were not engaged. So some of the policymakers, both within the administration and on Capitol Hill, had been made aware of this fact and said, why on earth hasn't this happened yet? Why on earth are we not utilizing this resource to farm our own seafood? And it was actually Cargill, 
um, which is a major ag firm here in the United States, uh, mm -hmm. based up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was on a small project with them yep. and they said, why don't we, and they supply a ton of, I mean, I'm sure your, your audience is familiar. We're um, actually going to be speaking with some folks from Cargill in, in the next couple of weeks. So perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Major, uh, fish food supplier, obviously, and buyer of us soybeans, you know, they're really mm -hmm. entrenched in the entire supply chain. And it was their DC folks who were like, why on earth aren't we doing this? It would be brilliant to create a new domestic market for our soybeans, because at the same time, we're having a, a bit of a challenge in our export markets overseas for soy in particular. And that could be its own podcast, of course, that challenge. But um, Cargill called a meeting of US seafood executives in November of 2017. Uh, they called this meeting to their K Street offices. It was everybody from uh, Fortune Fish to Taylor Shellfish to Red Lobster, uh, Pentair, um, Cisco, the distribution company, Pacific Seafoods, Highliner, a whole host of guys and gals um, who have since become the board members of Stronger America Through Seafood. But this group was called to answer the question, do we as an industry, do we as a community want to lead a charge, lead an effort to educate policymakers on the need for offshore aquaculture and subsequently the need for some sort of authorizing process, an act of Congress. We all determined that the biggest barrier to US offshore aquaculture is a lack of clarity in the regulatory process, which I know you guys are super familiar with and as are your listeners, but that regulatory process needed to be untangled. And um, we met with Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross that afternoon at his office um, on Constitution. We met with Senator Roger Wicker, both who have since become big champions uh, in DC for this effort. And they both indicated without question, they wanted to take action. They understood the merits of what, what aquaculture could bring, but that they needed some support from industry, that that would be helpful to mm -hmm. educate on both sides, the industry side and, and the policymaker side. And so that group left those meetings and it was that night, literally by a show of hands uh, among the, the stakeholders in the room, you know, who's in, do we wanna organize and support this process? And it was unanimous and they contributed in that moment, not just their own energy and time, but also financially to what has since become Stronger America Through Seafood. And this so was that's, that's the history. And then that was back in 2017, correct? Uh-huh. November okay. of 2017. A date which shall live in infamy. <laughs> Clearly. You guys no, work quick. No. no. <laughs> so we'll get into to the executive order itself and, and kind of the, the ins and outs of what is in that and what it means for the future of American seafood. But thanks for the rundown of how SATS, is that what you call it for short, SATS? You can just you can just shorten it to SATS. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> the genesis of that. Let me let me interrupt here because I do that a lot. So the genesis of that name, and we've gotten some pushback. Like, oh my, even our members are sometimes like, that is a mouthful, you know. <laughs> but it's sort of illustrative of of this group. So this group came together out of necessity right. because I, as sort of an advocate for the seafood community, and these other people who are members of various trade associations. A lot of them have their own in-house lobbyists. There was no coordinated, singularly focused group or coalition 
for offshore aquaculture. And our, our mission is broader than offshore aquaculture, but the immediate opportunity was presenting itself as this offshore piece. So literally it was a show of hands, like I said, to form the group. Mm-hmm. And then in the month of December of 2017, recognizing that there was traction and things were happening, this pretty nimble group said, we need to organize. We need to get our IRS designations and our incorporation and all of these things, you know, the kind of framework of this coalition so we can formalize. And um, said, what are we going to call it? And I literally remember going back and forth over email. I was just kind of whiteboarding on a piece of paper. You know, what is some, what's something that's sort of catchy and I don't know. We, we settled on that uh, late one night and it just sort of stuck and Sats was born the name. But yes, Sats is a much easier name <laughs> well, to remember than Stronger. I, I mean, I figured you need to shorten it to Sats because I think it's a requirement in the seafood industry that everything yeah. has to have an acronym. Oh, absolutely. It's a requirement yeah. In, yeah. in Washington as yeah, well. Yeah, so everything um, needs an acronym. That's, so. all, that's always a consideration. You don't want to come up with a name and then um, have it, the acronym be somewhat inappropriate or potentially offensive, (laughs) which has occurred, you know, American seafood, sustainable, you know, American sustainable (laughs) seafood. Welcome to ask. Not going to be the choice, right? And it was not, it was in consideration until you start thinking, "Mm, mm -mm." Oh, wait a minute. Because you know, people are going to like people on podcasts and stuff are going to shorten it up. So (laughs) we're here with the president of ASS. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, what is the extent of uh, what Sats is doing now? Because you kind of gave us a rundown of how it started, but I want to get an idea of all the not maybe not all the projects, but um, you know, overall, what what are you guys doing right now? Great question, Sean, and I'm glad Thank you, you asked. Um, because the mission of Stronger America through seafood is broader than aquaculture. It is to increase sustainable U.S. production of seafood. Um, here. Right. And, and in all its glory, in the commercial fishing, aquaculture, and aquaculture, of course, includes RAS and shellfish and offshore, the whole kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had an initial planning meeting where we determined, again, y'all do SWOT analysis maybe, right? Are y'all familiar strengths, weaknesses, opportunities? Yep. So you do that. And clearly the opportunity to achieve our mission and our focus is strictly federal policy. So we're not doing marketing to consumers. We're not doing research or surveys. It's very much focused on federal policy and advocacy education. Um, The opportunity in the chatter in DC was very much focused on offshore aquaculture. So in terms of that analysis, where's the greatest opportunity, greatest bang for our buck, we decided to go with offshore aquaculture as our primary focus initially mm-hmm. that focus has been broken down into two parts so we see two mechanisms of federal policy very critical to achieving our mission and that is again the challenge being the regulatory quagmire of different agencies and permitting time frames and a lack of clarity to overcome that hurdle we need specific executive leadership, executive action from that branch of government, from that mm-hmm. branch of federal government, ideally the White House, um, because that, of course, trickles down. And then also an act of Congress and seems extreme, but literally there is no agency with any explicit statutory authority to manage or permit 
aquaculture in the United States EEZ. Everybody for, for decades have agreed NOAA would be the appropriate agency to do that, but there is no authority. And if they attempted to go ahead and permit something, it would just, it would be uncertain and potentially subject to lawsuits and investors don't want any part of that. So, right, so there's a gray area that you needed to define, really. Totally, totally, which goes both ways, right? Mm -hmm. as, as somebody, if you're, a, if you're a hard and true conservationist, uh, you and you don't want any development in the oceans, you too will want some certainty around mm -hmm. can somebody permit, can somebody not permit, are we going to have an Definitely. open ocean industry, are we not? So it goes both ways. I think right. having that clarity is super important. So we identified the second piece of what we needed to achieve in terms of tactics was federal legislation, authorizing NOAA as the lead agency to permit and manage open ocean fish farm. So we have those two focuses. And again, it's been so brilliant in this, this group, because again, they, they are all members of different groups and different coalitions, you know, certain members, and I won't name names, but they're, they're on boards all over the place. But those, a lot of those organizations are handling a massive amount of fire putting out. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of immediate issues that they're on defense with, particularly in the seafood industry. Let's be honest. We're constantly on the defense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Open ocean fish farming is more of like an aspirational, you know, future process. And not everybody has the luxury to focus on that. Not other organizations or coalitions have the luxury to focus on that. So this is sort of the clearinghouse for that energy. So that hopefully that helps explain a little bit more about what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So Let's get into the, the topic of the day. This new executive order that came out on the 7th, how much influence has SATS had leading into that? Do you have transparency there or are you just kind of, yeah, seems like um, we've made, made an influence or <laughs> are you not allowed to talk about that? You know, the <laughs> uh, I, I think it's important to be clear that this executive order is not new. It's new right. in that it was just formalized and issued. Right. But it has been percolating within the administration and within previous administrations, going back at least to George W. Bush. I remember Secretary of Commerce Carlos Gutierrez back during the Bush administration visiting the Boston Seafood Show, unveiling a national offshore aquaculture plan. Okay. Um, so that would have been, you know, between 2005, 2009 ish. So this goes back a long ways. I understand there were over 100 versions of this, literally edits going back and forth between different agencies and wow. different approval processes. And I think our group did a great service and we did, we had a number of meetings at the White House over the past, I'd say 18 months. Um, and we do have a lot of communication with those policymakers that I am happy to say that much. And I think what we brought to bear, which is so important, was educating. So we educated these relatively new policy staff and political appointees within the current administration as to everything from what is aquaculture to aren't you guys asking for more regulation? Would this be, be more regulation? Because that's not really consistent with what we're trying to do. So we had to spend a lot of time educating and providing expertise. So we would bring in uh, representatives from across the supply chain up into DC to say, you know, 
answer questions and provide feedback and help them understand that yes, this is absolutely needed. And if it does become a reality, it will be supported and embraced by the CFO community. So there was a lot of that education that went on Great. over the past 18 months, culminating around about March, April, May. So Awesome. So that's a hole that needed to be filled that you guys were able to take on. That's that's pretty fantastic. So let, let's get into the meat of it. What What is, uh, we don't need to go down you know, every, every uh, clause in this, in this order, but what's, what's the rundown of this and how is this going to impact initially and long-term the domestic seafood industry here in the U.S.? And then I want to talk a little bit about down the road after this, we, I want to talk a little bit about how it's going to affect our international trade as well, if you have any ideas on that, but that's, we'll get right. to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, you know what, Sean, we could go through every facet of this EO because it's legit six pages. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. that long. Don't worry. I'm not going to do it. We're not going to do it. <laughs> um, but by nature, this executive order is pretty simple. Um, it's very comprehensive. Yeah, we were just I reviewing it again shocked. before we got on. But it, and it just I was shocked at how readable it is. It's so easy totally. to understand. Like, totally. we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes if any of our listeners are interested in reading the whole yep. thing. It's super short, super easy. Right. If you like seafood, like, read this. If you love America, read the executive order because <laughs> it'll make you feel more patriotic on the back end. <laughs> and I remember reading it when I, when I saw the final product and I was texting with people because I was so excited. I think it was all caps. This period is period so period good. Period. Well, it had over a hundred drafts back and forth, so hopefully yeah, it, it, it should well. be good. It better be good. <laughs> but it's just it it encaptures the entire message. We have an opportunity, America. Why aren't we doing this? We have the technology. We have the infrastructure, we have the resource in terms of the second largest federal ocean space on the globe. We have consumers who are clamoring for local, healthful, sustainable seafood. Why on earth are we not doing this? Here's the opportunity, guys. That's the point of an executive order is to establish with absolute clarity a priority of an administration. And I was so pleasantly surprised in its simplicity and its efficiency. Just this is what we're going to do. And it, and it cites some guidelines in terms of time frame, which a lot of people are kind of antsy and anxious about. They say, oh my gosh, can we do all of this on such an ambitious timeline? Well, you know what? It's about time that something established an ambitious timeline because for companies on the aquaculture side, like Hub Sea World Research Institute, who spent over 20 years and $9 million attempting to get one permit to grow fish off the coast of San Diego. Jeez. It's about darn time that we get ambitious and that we get efficient. Please. America. Yeah, stop dragging, stop dragging the feet. Right. And that's the whole point is, and what the executive order does fundamentally is very simple. It establishes within current statute. It does not undermine any existing law. That's not the ability of an executive order can't do that anyway. First of all, it says, this is a priority for this country, increasing our sustainable seafood production, using aquaculture as a mechanism in that production is a priority for this country, amen. Then it says, Noah, you're in charge, get to work, organize, 
understand within your own fellow agencies who's doing what, get them on the same page, and do it now. That is all it says. It says, who is doing what? And I don't, I don't know y'all's professional backgrounds, but I've, I've done a little bit of management in my day, and usually it's of these disparate seafood organizations, and we're all going in different directions. You have to have a unifying vision and mission to get anything done, and you have to stay laser focused on that. That's what this mm -hmm. is intended to do, to redirect all of the nonsense and the foot dragging and the potentially not productive delay and say, get it done. So that's what the executive order does. Again, does not undermine any existing statute. Of course, in terms of the Environmental Protections, Clean Water Act, all of that remains completely intact. And that's why NOAA is, you know, the, obviously the perfect choice to be leading this initiative as well because they're going to be on board with all that as well. So it feels like an accomplishment, but it's really just the starting point, right? It's the gun that right. starts the race, really. So what is the next step? You know, where do we go from here? So, yeah, that was a question I got from somebody right when it was first issued. They're like, gosh, is there just going to be a rush to the agency to go get permits? No, there's not going to be a rush to the agency to get permits. What's next is that part two of what I was talking about with SATS's mission and our process, and that is federal legislation. And there have been several bipartisan bills introduced, as I said, back in 2005 was the first that I'm familiar with, uh, Offshore Aquaculture Acts, giving statutorily NOAA the authority, the legal authority to manage and issue permits to conduct offshore aquaculture. And so who was next. doing that before? I know you said it was really wishy-washy, but who ultimately was the agency or the, the group that was issuing permits before this was it there just kind of no. whoever there are no permits that's the, the point sean gotcha. there are no permits to fish there i believe there is one off the coast of california and it has it has had its own challenges and so y'all might want to talk with them directly there's one farm federally permitted which is just mind-blowing that it doesn't occur and the challenges that the companies that we work with have undergone in terms of trying to obtain permits they'll start oh let's just pick an agency any agency they'll start right with the army corps of engineers because they issue navigation permits and the army corps depending on your district office are you in washington state are you in california are you in the gulf of mexico those district offices have very different ideas of how things should go then they might say, you know, now you got to go to the EPA to get your Clean Water Act permits. The EPA will say, well, we don't have, I'm not, these are not specific citations. I'm just right, illustrating right. Yeah. how the, the complications of. Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. exactly the answer to what I was asking. I was wondering where would, where, where would people go? And I know that this is to clarify it. And so I was just curious kind of what people did before this when it was just unknown. So. Right. And of course. Y'all know the, the capital infusion and investment to grow fish at all, much less in the open ocean, it's not cheap. And for a company to leverage the resources necessary to get an operation up and running, they're not going to go on a, a bet. They're going to look for a sure thing. And that sure thing has been Mexico. It's been Panama. It's been Chile. It's been Norway. It's been Scotland. It's been China. It's not the United States, and that's a darn shame. So again, we've got the industry, we've got the, the technology, we just need some clarity. And it's a lot of investors who communicate with us saying a lot of questions, particularly since the executive order. I mean, the desire 
and the interest in investing not a little bit of money in the United States is huge. And it's like, you know, the headline this morning, we've got 40 million Americans unemployed right now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, I mean, I would imagine as a country, we need to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks in terms of opportunities. Absolutely. Particularly offshore when the, you know, the oil and gas industry is at an all time low. You know, there is infrastructure. There are people who work on the ocean who want to get back to work. Let's provide them with some opportunities. And so this, this would be one of them. I love it. I love it. So what is a step for folks that want to get in this industry? I mean, how can we start building this industry and getting those workers in place? I know right now it's hard for people to do much of anything because people can't really leave their homes. But, you know, we made this priority. We publicly issued it that this is our priority. You know, we have an organization that's going to bring it together, line it all up, get everything all figured out. What needs to happen for folks to start actually working in this industry and building this industry here in the United States? Right. That's a good question. And I've gotten that question quite a bit the last couple of weeks as well. And and the short answer is we need an act of Congress. <laughs> you know, nothing short of an act of Congress. Yeah. Um, Simple. Just <laughs> right. Can we do that uh, this weekend, guys? Can we? <laughs> because again, it's got to be a sure thing. It's got to be a sure thing. And without that statutory statutory authority, any potential project, at least in the offshore space, which again, that's where we've had to focus just because that's where the opportunity is from a federal policy perspective. But that is, that's fundamental. And I know that might seem somewhat intangible, like, oh, great. You know, yeah, I'll go to Washington and get a bill app, you know, a bill passed, whatever. There is an opportunity for industry to organize around this effort. And our group, Stronger America Through Seafood, will be very active with um, stakeholders in the next several months, asking for support and helping to direct support if people are so interested. Um, So that's, that's the short answer. We need that act of Congress. The good news is we have bipartisan legislation introduced in the House. We've got the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, a Democrat, Colin Peterson from Minnesota, has introduced it in the House. How cool to have a guy who's in charge of the United States agriculture industry championing land-based agriculture, championing offshore aquaculture. Or aquaculture in general. This is a new paradigm. We've never had these folks engaged at this level. And that gets back to the stakeholder community, Cargill being involved, the American Soybean Association, the feed manufacturers, Ziegler Feeds is on the board of Stronger America through seafood. We recognize the seafood supply chain is much broader than the guys on the water. That's, those are the frontline workers. Mm -hmm. But the supply chain extends far beyond that. And so that's something that I think is really cool about this bipartisan bill. It recognizes that broader supply chain. And then we've got bipartisan legislation about about to be introduced on the Senate side. And that legislation has had a lot of input from stakeholders across the board, including, importantly, the NGO community. They've done a number of roundtables and informal meetings with environmental and conservation organizations to make sure that this program, this offshore aquaculture program for the United States is not just sustainable in terms of a business model, but also sustainable in terms of our ecology and our environment. So, 
So they're, it's it's nice and refreshing to hear that they're taking the right steps and they're talking to the right people to make sure they're doing it right the first time, which is really nice. Yeah. And I'm really glad that yes. you brought up the the wider supply chain because this is a global market and it is a global supply chain. Obviously, 85% of our seafood at the U.S. is is imported. So how are these changes in your in your vision? How do you think these changes are going to disrupt that supply chain globally? Because it's always changing and it's always moving. But when you look at it from a 30,000 foot view, it's pretty fixed as to this comes from here. This species comes from here. This comes from here. And they and they've gotten it to work. And they're, you know, it globally in pretty set in, uh, in certain aspects. So how it, are these changes and potential growth down the road here in the U.S. going to disrupt globally in your mind the uh, overall global seafood supply chain so that's that's a good question and i like the word disruptive i would like to i fancy myself as somewhat disruptive you know Um, (laughs) you can you you can feel free to use that term i will i will i will allow you to use the word disruptive in your your vocabulary um i see our opportunity in terms of seafood as so much room for growth Y'all have seen the charts. Demand, we're going to have a population of 9 billion by 2050. And we're not all going to be eating quarter pounders. You know, I don't, we have opportunity to grow. And and I don't, this number is sort of awkward because nobody thinks in terms of how much you eat every year. (laughs) Um, But we as Americans eat over 200 pounds of red meat a year per person. We eat 16 pounds of seafood per year per person. And I know y'all have had Linda Cornish on the show. Um, She's a tremendous advocate from the Seafood Nutrition Partnership. I've worked with nutrition experts. We need to eat more fish for bottom line. So if we as a country and we as a global community can get together on that point, do we want to eat more fish? Do we want to live longer? Do we want to have better skin? Do we want our children's brains to be fully developed when they come out of the womb? You know, all of these, these benefits of eating seafood. If the answer is yes, then there is room for growth. There is an opportunity for us to play. And I don't see us as much as I love the word disrupt. I don't think we necessarily have to disrupt anybody's actual business right now. Um, it, It be it exporters overseas or, domestic wild capture fisheries. Um, There is room for both. And this is a holistic process. Again, we might not all be able to agree when you be able to agree when you get down into the weeds of exactly how it's going to happen. But what we can all agree on is we need to eat more fish, period. Mm -hmm. So I love that perspective because I completely agree. It's not a question of like scarcity mentality where there's only X amount of people. So that means there's only X amount of seafood that needs to be created. It's actually a question of how much more seafood can we be giving the people that already exist? So how can we grow the industry from where it is right now and inspire more consumption among the public and make them more excited to eat seafood? I feel like there's there's so many intricacies that go into that and... I think that this step is really exciting for that because that's so much of the work that we do here is just trying to encourage more seafood consumption as a whole. Yeah. And from an environmental perspective, it's it's the perfect setup because as you increase that from 16 pounds up, you know, you just make that that number go up. 
the other number is going to start to inch down a little bit, which is going to give a little breathing room uh, for the environment where, you know, terrestrial farming of beef cattle and, and pork and chicken is in some areas literally choking out the environment. And if we can ease that pressure a little bit by increasing the consumption of seafood, a decrease in more terrestrial, get a more balanced uh, ratio there, then that's going to have a massive positive impact on the environment in certain parts of the world. So if you're looking at this from an environmental point of view, there's a lot more positives than negatives. But, you know, I'm sure that once this industry in the U.S. starts to grow and expand and we're starting to see more of this offshore aquaculture get within our bounds here, we're going to start to see some of the potential negative considerations come to light. And that's going to be the, another step that we're going to have to start to tackle from an environmental point of view, from an economical point of view. Um, and that's, I imagine, SATs will have a role in those challenges as well when those come up. So there it is. <laughs> no, and I think, so here's the deal. You asked, you know, what can people do to get ready for this this movement? And short of the act of Congress, what else can people do? There is so much public education that has to occur, not only on the nutritional benefits of seafood. Let me tell you guys, let me tell you a little story. So I have three small children, three little girls. They're beautiful. And when I was pregnant, I was working um, as, at Henderson Strategies, but I was representing the Gulf Seafood Institute. I was their executive director, which is a, a Gulf of Mexico commercial fishing coalition. And I would go in to my OB appointments and talking to these obstetricians about diet and things like that, they were discouraging me, not knowing what I did for a living, discouraging me from eating seafood, saying- My, my wife went through the same thing a couple of years ago. Right. And I was like, I don't, that doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> yeah, and I don't ever, I don't even, I don't even bother. You know what I mean? Like I see the degrees on the wall. These people have the information at their fingertips, but it's just not getting through. So clearly, and I did eat seafood, by the way, which I attribute to my children's health and vitality. Uh, maybe I ate too much um, based on my experience with their vitality over this past three months. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's so much public education. And I don't think, you know, I, I've been talking to people about what we're doing with SATs. And I'm a political person. That's what I do. I'm a political advocate. And that's the universe I work in. In political terms, what we need to do right now across the seafood supply chain is galvanize our base. We need to educate the industry itself because it is so challenging to go to Capitol Hill and talk about these policies, talk about these policies with these policymakers who literally have maybe five minutes to listen to your message. And they had just heard from somebody mm -hmm. um, also on a fisheries issue who had a competing message. Mm -hmm. um, so they're going to look at us holistically. They're not going to say, oh, I, I support the farmed fish community or I support the wild fish community or I support the import community or the domestic. It's just going to be seafood's confusing. I'm just not going to deal with it. Mm. That's going to be the takeaway. And unless we can, as a community, work together because we're, we're huge because we work in the community, but relative to other industries that are in Washington trying to get attention right now, tiny tiny that's why this executive order was so major that seafood was getting top billing at a time when we've got 30 million people plus unemployed 
you know? So that speaks volumes, I think, to the opportunity, but we have to galvanize our base. And so the work that y'all are doing with this podcast, the work that groups like Stronger America Through Seafood or Linda Cornish's group or all those people that you guys talk to, God's work, it's great work, but we need to work in terms of organizing amongst one another as well so that we can, whenever possible, speak with one voice so that when this eventuality does come to pass, when we are able to venture into the offshore space to grow more fish, we've got a base of consumers who appreciate it because without that market, you know, doesn't mean anything. might as well uh, go off and eat quarter pounders again, um, which would be a darn shame. Yeah. I think that 30 second bit right there, if we just posted that, we would get ton of listeners of this yeah. episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. That is a, a huge initiative of ours. And, you know, we recognize that no one, not too many people have been taking, trying to take that step to bringing the entire industry together to have one voice. Yeah. And uh, we've been trying to take little steps towards that. We did a round table a few months ago. Uh, I think it was in January called coming together. And it's all, it, it's, people from all different facets of the industry trying to figure out what steps we can take to try and start to form a unified voice for seafood because that's really the only way that we're going to get anything done because there's so much infighting within the industry and you know buy this don't buy that if support this don't support that when really it should just be eat seafood eat right. more seafood you, you, come on you just need to eat more seafood and uh, that's what, what we're really trying to push so I really appreciate you saying that and saying that on our public platform that we're that we gave you because it's probably the most important thing in the seafood industry that is not really being approached it's just people just starting to dip their their toes in that water so um you know we're excited to be a part of it we're excited for you guys to be a part of that and be leading that charge so i so think, thank you. I think and that's something i you know maybe i'm too simple-minded but when i first started in this space back in 2005 fresh eyes you know no bias whatsoever i'm like we need a like a got milk campaign for fish you know <laughs> And I got yep. educated real fast as oh, yeah. to why that has never happened. And it's a shame, but I think there's a lot of activity in that space right now. I've been invited to several of these, you know, seafood marketing uh, workshops and there's mm -hmm. a movement. It's always existed, but I think that the, the critical mass of people who need that is starting to, to elevate. And I, I hope that that's part of what SATs can be involved in. We as an organization don't have the resources. That was one of the first decision, decisions we made. We looked at some other successful seafood marketing programs, some of which you guys may be familiar, and we looked at their annual budgets. One of the most um, notable, their budget is $17 million a year to market one type of seafood mm -hmm. to one market. And we didn't have that kind of cash. So we said- Not a lot of companies do. Yeah. That's, the, that's the thing. Right. That's a tall order. Um, yeah. So resources are needed to do yeah. that. Yeah. And we need resources that can pull those resources together. <laughs> so it's a, it's no we easy task. But... We need organizers. But I think, yeah. you know, one of the visions and the values that I have brought to all of my work, um, just generally, you know, it's just a life philosophy that I sort of embrace. And it's just stay positive in all of our messaging as an organization and all of my messaging as a lobbyist, whoever I'm talking to or talking about, stay positive. It's not about who's hurting us. It's about what can I do for you? What do we have to offer? Mm -hmm. And if you as an, as an industry, as we as an industry stick with that line of thinking, there's room for us all. It's not, well, the imports are, are harming my business and putting me out of business. It's like, mm -hmm. wow, 
I, I got to figure out a new way to build the mousetrap. You know, there's an opportunity there somewhere to evolve holistically as a community. And I think that's, that's that positive mentality is um, part of what we bring to the discussion. And, and just pragmatically speaking, it opens a lot of doors. People really appreciate solution-based positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell you, cause I worked on the Hill and I would sit in my office and I'd take meetings all day, up to 12 meetings a day with different interest groups who would come in and the amount of complaining it's just like, ah, you know, what do you want? What can I do to help? You know, tell me something good today. Yeah. You know, give me right. some news. And um, I think seafood has that opportunity if we choose to take it. Absolutely. So we're getting a little short on time. So in summation, this executive order is a big win for seafood. It's been going on for a long time. It's finally been made public. It's out there. We love that there's a priority on aquaculture, offshore aquaculture here in the U.S., but really it's the gun that starts the race. So now we need to start implementing procedures and and getting moving, getting things to start happening. What is the final message that you want our audience, our listeners to take from this conversation and from this executive order and from everything that we've talked about today? Eat more seafood. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There it is. I could go on. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) I could go on and on. Mic drop. No, I think... You know, another message would be, you know, our organization has, um, we've, we've relied on a group of between 16 and 20, depending on the month, 16 and 20 primary funding companies. Um, and they're companies, you can look at our website and you can see them. Some of the companies who've been the foundation of our organization and gotten us to where we are with the executive order and other opportunities, they are facing the fight of their lives right now. Absolutely. They can't they potentially won't be around moving into 2021, which could be one of the most pivotal years for the aquaculture movement in the United States of America. We need all of those downstream benefactors of U.S. seafood to pick up the banner and help us continue the fight. We can't let this die right now. So I would strongly encourage anybody who feels similarly about the opportunities for increasing U.S. sustainable seafood they can go to our website, strongerthroughseafood.org. They can check us out on LinkedIn and or, I'm sorry, not LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, there's a multitude of ways to get in touch with us. We would, or do it on your own. I don't care. But we would love to help facilitate opening some of those doors and having those conversations about the possibilities of U.S. seafood. If you can do it through our platform, even better. But that's, that would be the plug for what we're trying to achieve. And we'll make it easy for our listeners. We'll have links to all of those sites and resources that you just mentioned in our show notes. Thanks. Okay. I don't have anything else to add. I think this has been an amazingly informative uh, conversation. And I think, you know, the messages get excited because there's big opportunities and we just need to take advantage of it. So, Margaret, thank you so much for joining us today. Justin, do you have anything? Maddie, do you have anything? No, I think you captured it all. This was a, this was a pleasure, very informative, and we appreciate your time. Great. So if, if uh, our listeners want to get in contact with you with any questions they might have, what is the best way for them to do that? They can go to the Stronger America Through Seafood website, www.strongerthroughseafood.org. And through that portal, they can find different ways to contact us. But we are excited to hear from people who agree with our vision and um, want to pitch in. Fantastic. So again, Margaret Henderson, 
from Strong America Through Seafood. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for everything that you have done over the last, what is it, 13 years, you said? 15, but 15 you know, years, 15, yeah, decade plus. Um, <laughs> and uh, for everything that you're continuing to do for the industry. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us for this conversation. And make sure that you subscribe and rate and review. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Folks, that was our conversation with Margaret Henderson from Stronger America Through Seafood. As always, I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you are excited about the potential growth for the aquaculture industry here in the U.S. and all of the effects it's going to have on the global seafood market. So... That was a whirlwind episode, tons of information. We'll have a lot of resources in the show notes. So ways that you can contact Margaret through Stronger America through Seafood and some of the other links that she mentioned. We'll have a link to the executive order itself so you can read through it at your leisure. And you can also contact us by emailing podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Follow us on social. That's at AquademiaPod on Twitter. Leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. That's how we spread our, our knowledge to others. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.